Hello everybody and welcome to Tavern Keep Chapter 3 The Woman in the Woods Oh, also first I should probably read the thing that is after a couple of chapters for like context of the story So, after every chapter this is from the end of chapter 2 There's kind of like a diary entry for the next couple chapters Diary of Toro Hoth 2.32 AR Pain is irrelevant. I've seen death, spoken to him. He let me speak to his victims. And though all those souls were different and spoke of different lives, they all shared one thing, anger. Not anger towards their deaths or how they died or who may have caused it, but anger at what came after. They wouldn't speak of it, would not describe what happens after your last breath is taken. But after many tellings, it became clear to me that all there is is wrath, torment, and horror. The duality of all our actions, no matter your good deeds or your evil treacheries, it seems we all end in the same dark pit, walking the wastelands of Corterra. Forced to endure blazing demon tongues, licking away our flesh as it slips off our bone. There's no escaping what death has to offer. Elder or not, you will die. And when you do, you will face the song of Uthral that has been struck upon us in this age of sickness. Cling to life. Rip and tear to stay alive. Because once you close your eyes for the last time, all that awaits you is pure visceral, unadulterated wrath. While Erethor had found something to do, Otis was busy wandering the halls of the magnificent castle. Sometimes it felt that it was three times the size of the city itself, and sometimes it felt small. But oftentimes, his mate Wymley Starth reminded him that it was simply because he learned the halls so well that it all seemed to compress. Some say it's even bigger than Fort Kiltek, Wimley winked, elbowing his friend as he tried to remain perfectly still at his post. He didn't have to remain still, but he thought it looked better for him whenever a higher-up happened to waltz past them. Oh, please, you haven't even seen the inside of those walls like I have, Otis bragged, briefly dropping his tough soldier persona after checking both ends of the hallways for lingering superiors. Well, we can't all be elders like you, Grandpa, Wimley rolled his eyes. It was true, not everyone was and most people weren't. Tavern Keep had become a haven for those with a special attribute. There didn't seem to be much of a connection to anything, no links between races or cultures that create them, but some are simply born with the ability to live for upwards of 2,000 years, highest recorded person being 2,200 years old before they passed, seeing the birth of a new age and the death of one too. And much like Animan, in most places, they were scorned for being unnatural, but not Tavern Keep. The very creators themselves were elders, and lived to see the fruition of their kingdom for hundreds of years before passing it on to new elders. It's a blessing and a curse, friend, but it does mean I have seniority over you. He winked back at him, receiving another toss of the eye before someone bursted in from the door they stood guard on. It was Heathgrim. His face was dark and bitter, like he'd received terrible news. Good news! You're free to go home to your families, Heathgrim said, his blank stare tearing through Otis like an arrow. Is it sunfall already? Wimley said, looking around for a window to catch a glimpse of the outside. But Heathgrim shook his head. 
No, no, it's only just hit Sun Peak. Just run home, now, he said in a hurried manner. Of all the officials and higher-ups, Heathgrim was always a bit more informal towards his lessers. He didn't have to be, and in fact was demanded not to. But he saw no reason to be demeaning, and would only straighten up when someone of equal match or higher-up was in his presence. Either way, Otis wasn't about to waste the opportunity. He gave a spirited salute and relieved himself of his post. Erethor stood in front of the gates, the vastness of it never ceasing to amaze him. Otis stood by his side, two swords slung around his shoulders in their respective sheaths. Erethor had his own, but on such short notice he didn't have it on him, and usually kept it in a special chest underneath his bed, wanting to stay as far away from it as possible when he didn't need to, only ever really branding it on his monthly trips. Uther, Otis called up to the gate captain, who looked down at them from the ledge and gave them a salute. The gates began to open, slowly and loudly as the wooden metal creaked with age. Just as they did, a transport had begun to stroll up to the gates. I've a pretty good spot, friend, Otis said confidently. Cutting to the right and following the walls of the city, the tree line only a few feet away from them leading to a vast and colorful forest. I come out here every once in a while, as much as I love my wife and kid, you learn to appreciate the silence. I think you understand that more than anyone, right? He said with a smile, looking over his shoulder at Arathor, who followed him patiently. Of course, we are similar in that way, Arathor said, grabbing onto an apple from an apple tree and plucking it from the branch. There were many, many apple trees, and fruit trees in general. Most had been planted intentionally by farmers, since their farms were too far away from the forest that they had no room on their own land. Similar how, do you think? Oda stopped, seemingly reaching the spot. There was a large gap, a half-circle where the trees avoided the wall. The thick leaves hugging each other reflected the light coming from the east. We enjoy peace, Erethor noted the coolness of the shadows. Shadows from the walls covering the vastness of the forest and the ground beneath them. His sightseeing is interrupted as Otis throws down one of the swords to the floor. Erethor swiftly obtained it, ripping it from his sheath and throwing himself into a shaky and rather sloppy fighting position. It had been years since he really needed to use it. And though he wasn't going to treat the skirmish like a real fight, he did want to give it his best. Otis smiled at his boldness, slowly taking a stance of his own. It's much more elegant, something you wouldn't expect from a simple guard. Of course, like many others, Otis's ambitions went far beyond being a royal guard, but having a wife and kid had settled him down much quicker than he thought. It was conflicting. He wanted to have a more exciting life, but he also would never trade the experience of having a family. What he truly wanted to be was a mercenary, a hired arm with a steel-bound blade. He'd flash at anyone who gave him a dirty glare. He was ready, prepared to take out scoundrels and miscreants till there was nothing but a pile of blood and bone below his leather boots. He often dreamed of having a faction medallion, whether it be the Haggards, the Crow Rifts, or the Neward. He just wanted to be part of something vast and beyond his imagination. He wanted to be overwhelmed. He wanted to have a reason to wonder if he'd live the next day. He never told his wife about his ideas. She'd be much too scared. She'd blame herself and go on about how she's much too boring and unexciting for him, and that it was all her fault. Otis was too level-headed for that, too quick to get bored of such a petty argument. He'd have simply walked off and made the situation worse by doing so. But then he felt in that moment, detached from his worries and even his hopes, just in the woods with his good friend and about to swing a heavy chunk of sharpened metal at him with all of his strength. But he knew Arathor wanted it, 
He knew how desperately he wanted to know if he had lost his skill, and how he wanted to prove his worries wrong. First strike, a typical jab towards Arathor that is easily countered by a swipe to the left and a swing at the legs. Though they hadn't exactly made a set of rules for themselves, there was the basic understanding to not kill the other person. Nice! Good! Otis said. His form recuperated as he began to circle around each other in the arena of trees. I don't need your comments, Arathor said jokingly, his tongue punching the bottom of his mouth as he tried to think over his next move. He'd always been one for defense, letting them get tired of trying to be offensive. Then he'd get hyper-aggressive, in hopes to surprise them by sudden change and throw them off their pace. Oftentimes it worked, and it ended with the cheap but successful defeat of his enemy. Perhaps he would try that with Otis, or would he be expecting that? And has he been accommodating for this in his head the whole time? Otis knew Arathor well, and if he knew anything about him the most, it was the visual cues he gave away before his attacks. He knew how he fought, he knew the face he'd make as he thought of what to do next, where to try and strike, or how he planned to break his guard. He knew the face of engagement, a split second before he'd actually thrust, and the look of whether he thought he made a successful dent in the opponent's defense, or if he'd simply wasted his stamina. To Arathor's credit, it wasn't for any reason of shallowness or predictability, but it was a skill Otis had learned over time. Arathor had been in many fights, but his fights were mostly from within enemy territories, and the amount of combat he actually engaged in was much less than Otis. And though everyone is different and a unique fighter, they can be similar in style, and in the end, everybody has their cues. Some are harder to read than others, and some are as clear as looking through a window. Arathor was tougher to track. He was built that way by the military. He was made to maintain the pressure of being a spy, of having to deceive and lie and keep secrets behind enemy lines. When people grew suspicious of him, he had to find an excuse rather than panic and go straight to the sword. But in the end, Otis had cracked him, and it was only a matter of time before Arathor did the same to him. Of course you don't. Come on, make your move. Otis weighed for him. Going for the mental approach, huh? Arathor thought to himself, sweat already beginning to form on his forehead. It was chilly, and winter was soon, but the air felt moist, and it clung to his skin like a bug to a tree. Right then, Arathor shouted, swinging to the left, deflected, right back overhead. Deflected. It was brutal. It felt like hitting a stone wall that knocked your sword back at you. He went for a leg jab, but Otis was quick to shuffle his leg out of the way, twisting to the left and making a move on his legs in return. He managed to nick him, the sword sliding off his leather leg armor, leaving a noticeable scar on the material. That's new armor, you twat, Arathor remarked, leaping forward and sliding between the handle of his blade and his arm, tapping his chest plate just barely, but still made a loud clanking sound as Otis stumbled back in surprise. Whoa, you were early that time. Otis's stance got noticeably more restrictive, his blade closer to his chest as he switched to a more defensive position. Somehow, Arathor had turned the table on himself. He was no longer on the defense, and he was cursing in his own head. Damn, I told you, Otis, I'm no good. Arathor threw his blade down, frustrated at his clumsiness. Otis sheathed his own blade, walking to Arathor and laying a comforting hand on his shoulder, much like he had to hem just the night before. Maybe this was a cruel bit of irony coming to bite him like that spider in his head. Time, it takes time, Otis reminded him. I know, but what if something happened again? What, what if I'm not ready? Arathor asked his fears starting to leak out of him like a Voyager boat being struck with a catapult. But his friend wasn't paying any attention to him. Otis was staring off into the forest. 
and just as Arathor opened his mouth to criticize his friend for ignoring him in a time of need, his finger went up over his mouth. His stare became intense, aggressive, and accusatory. He wasn't looking at something but someone. Arathor couldn't tell. His back was turned, but the possibilities were jumping through his head. Was it another guard, a villager, a farmer, or God forbid, a geranium scavenger? The tension was killing him, and though his training taught him to be calm under pressure, it felt like a rope slowly being cut until the threads snapped all on their own, and he just had to spin around and see. Surely enough, a young woman, dressed in bandit gear, stood behind a tree, watching them. Perhaps she just thought Otis was looking through her and not at her, or she was stuck in fear. But once Arathor looked, it was a seal of approval to run for her life. She kicked dirt into the air as she pushed off the tree and shot into the forest. Arathor is all Otis could say as he pulled his sword back out and darted in the forest blindly. It wasn't a debate of whether he was going to follow his friend, but what he was going to do if he caught the girl. And as he ran through the forest, hot on her trail, as she leaped over fallen logs and dunked under bramble bushes, he couldn't help but wonder what he'd do if he grabbed hold of her. Surely he wouldn't just bash her head against a rock and end her life right there, no, right? No. He would hold her down and force the answers out of her. And as that image played in his head, it seemed to make his legs move faster. The inspiration of finding out what made her spy in them was too important to pass up. She was silent as they ran, no plead for them to stop, no sort of call for help. Because she knew that they knew she was going to get help, and that it was better to just keep her mouth shut and surprise him with an ambush of some sort instead of crying aimlessly. Arathor, for one, didn't want to know what kind of reinforcements she had waiting up in a tree and made a risky move. He grabbed for his dagger from the bag behind his back and threw it. It was a sloppy shot, and if it hadn't been for the fact she was running in almost a straight line, he probably would have missed. But a lack of serpentine movement made way for a dagger to plunge into her exposed leg. She let out a yelp of pain and hit the ground with a thundering crash. Part of him felt bad. She looked very young and inexperienced. Did he really have to throw a knife into her leg? But he told himself that it was that or the back of her head. So he shoved away the guilt and focused on keeping her down. Otis had gotten to her first and flipped her over. Immediately, he began to hold her legs down, waiting before removing the blade. No! No! What the hell are you doing to me? She yelled, kicking her leg back and forth and making it impossible for him to pull the blade out and bandage her. Finally, Arathor came up from behind, grabbing her arms and holding her still. Just stop! I'm helping you! Otis assured her, but his assurance did little to comfort her. To no surprise, she was angered, screaming and cussing as they tried to save her from bleeding out or getting an infection. After all, it was her own fault she had a knife in her leg. She could have just not run. What were you doing? Arathor asked, though it was mostly in vain, as she wasn't listening and was busy trying to throw her arms about. He held tightly until she eventually gave in and let her body go limp. Arathor quickly finished the tourniquet and pulled the dagger from her leg, which led to her screaming even louder for a brief moment. Sorry! Sorry! I'm sorry! Otis said, covering her mouth as she kicked around rapidly. Look, Kush, can you please calm down? We can help you! Otis insisted, looking her in the eyes. She looked back, and her voice slowly winded down to a low hum of pain. He uncovered her mouth slowly, leaving her in a state of intense breathing. Help me? Help me how? she said, suddenly cooperative. Look, I, I know you are no bandit. Maybe you got sold as a kid, but you have to know you are not a bandit, right? Otis said, following her head as she tried to look away. The idea had made her uncomfortable, probably because it was true. 
an unbearable, painful truth that was being unraveled by the people who had just attacked her. Who? Wh why do you care, huh? Her voice was low, and somewhat manly in a way. It didn't sound anything like what a young, pretty face looked like. Because we can get you out, okay? We can get you away from them, and you can live in Tavern Keep. It's not too late, I promise. Otis had caught her attention fully, no longer having to hold her face in order to make her look at him. You can't just... It won't work. There's too many. She swallowed hard, sweat beaming down her face as they leaned her against a tree. She looked utterly defeated, giving in so easily to failure that maybe she was hoping, praying for it all to come along. Otis's calm demeanor sunk away as he heard what she said. He got close to her face. Be careful when you respond to me. Be truthful. He paused, his eyes mad with confused anger, his lips twitching as the questions danced on his tongue. How many are there? His low, intimidating voice rang. Her eyes went everywhere but to him. She couldn't bring herself to do it. But she had already made up her mind on her answer. I'm not sure. There's at least a hundred, she said timidly, her finger clenched hard around a wound, as Arathor had long since let her go. Otis rolled his eyes, sighing as he stood up in anger. Arathor couldn't help but watch. As skilled as he used to be in fighting, he wasn't much for intimidation or interrogation. You don't understand. It's an entire camp full of these, of these cultists, the girl pleaded. But all she received was a confused and concerned look from the two men. Cultists? What do, what do you mean cultists? Arathor finally spoke. It was one thing for a group of bandits to be setting camp in their woods, but a cultist group could very easily lead to more sinister issues. She herself looked surprised that they hadn't caught on, scoffing and shaking her head. Dear Highvale, just because someone wears leather armor and not that shiny pearly shit you have in your walls doesn't make them a bandit, she protested, throwing her hands in the air. It almost sounds like you're defending them. Otis grumbled with scorn, pointing his sword at her. I'm not defending them, she was quick to say, leaning off the tree with her eyes wide in panic. Then what are they? What do they stand for? Arathor used his foot to carefully push her back against the tree. She sighed and rested her head against it in compliance. They called themselves the Ruiners of Mord. They believe Mord is the creator of the four out of the seven soul gates, and had created four of the keys alongside them. Their holy book called the Ruin Star, and proclaims that Tavern Keep has a key within their walls, she said with whimsicalness, clearly making fun of the entirety of the cult. Tavern Keep is only a few hundred years before rebirth. It must not be an old religion. Otis rubbed his chin with his free hand. Mord isn't a god. At least that's not how the Rune Star depicts him. They speak of him as sort of an ambassador for much higher beings. A being that connects the soul gates. And is the one who chose the locations to which they lead you. She said, wincing as a wave of pain came across her. Arathor leaned down, extending her leg carefully to get a better look. To his surprise, she allowed him to look, considering he was the one who did it. Look, can you just please get me to Tavern Keep? I lived there before they took me in in the first place. I, I was alone, but I can prove that my home is mine, she begged. And though she seemed too young to own a home, she could be an elder for all they knew. We'll take you back as soon as you tell us where this camp is, 
Otis negotiated. It took her a second, but she must have made the connection that she'd be safe behind the walls. If they were to take care of the cultists, there'd never be a threat again. Okay, Erethor, get her back to her home, if she's telling the truth, that is. I'll request to speak to the king at once and inform him of the situation. Then we meet back at your tavern at Sunrest, alright? Otis said as they reached the gates, which had already begun to open with haste. Erethor nodded as he had the girl on her back. She was convinced she would refuse the offer, but after several minutes of her trying to walk on the injured leg, she folded. They split their separate ways, Otis towards the castle and Erethor towards Bright Rock where she claimed to live. I feel ridiculous, she said bitterly, her arms locked around his neck tightly. Maybe you shouldn't have ran, but if you want I can just drag you behind me with a rope. Erethor grinned at himself, but he could feel no such response from the girl on his back. You ran towards me. What was I supposed to do? You could have all been rapists, for all I know. She said, and of course that seemed ridiculous to Erethor, but it was honestly fair considering they were strangers to her. Are you sure you lived in Bright Rock? Erethor said with a tinge of skepticism. He was sure he hadn't seen the girl before, but there was a chance she had simply isolated herself or never stepped foot inside the tavern. Yes, I'm sure of where my own home is. She spat back even more bitterly her grip tightening around him in response. "'You've never been to my tavern then, huh?' Erethor said as he nodded with a smile as the many civilians gave them strange looks. "'The wine? Yeah, not my thing,' she said, her voice flat as she rested her chin on his shoulder. It was kind of comforting, but also kind of concerning as she relaxed so easily. "'How could ale not be your thing?' he said, trying to be cheerful. "'I just don't drink, okay?' she responded almost angrily. He clearly had touched nerve, decided on remaining silent until he reached the building that was supposedly her home. As he reached the front steps, her face lit up, and he felt her wiggling to get off his back. He allowed her to slip away, and she hit the ground hard. But before he could even ask if she was okay, she immediately recovered, pushed past him towards the front door. Hey! Erethor reached out and grabbed her arm. The look she gave him was of pure discomfort as she felt herself being tugged back. It made him wince that she looked so betrayed, but it was becoming clear that there was some sort of issue. "'What's your deal?' she said, her eyes narrowed in anger as she tried to release her wrist from his grasp. "'This isn't your home,' Erethor said solemnly, his eyes beginning to get glassy. She didn't understand. She slowly stopped trying to tug herself free, coming to a complete stop as she looked at him. "'What the hells do you mean? I can prove it! Just let me go!' Her voice was uncertain. He hadn't even made his point yet, but she sounded concerned. This is my friend Hem's house. He's been living here for years, Erethor said. It was true. There was no mistaking it. And as they had gotten closer, he had been hoping she'd point towards the house next to his or somewhere he wasn't aware of. But it was clear what was happening, at least to him. Cut the shit! Just let me go inside! She managed to rip away, and quickly bursted through the door of the house. Erethor followed, slowly as he knew that her reaction wouldn't be the one he wanted to see. As he entered behind her, he saw exactly what he expected, though. She spun around in confusion, looking at the unfamiliar walls, decorations, and furnitures. The smell was different, the floors were different, the house was not hers. Are you sure this is the right house? Perhaps you're just remembering wrong, Erethor tried to suggest, but she shook her head wildly, falling to her knees, weak from her injury, and now the mental blow to the head. This, this was my home, she muttered under her lips. The fight in her had drained, and all that was left was a scared, trembling girl. 
He felt horrible, a pit in his stomach, growing as he realized just what damage the cult had done to her. How long do you believe you were gone? Arathor said, getting down on his knees next to her. He wanted to wrap an arm around her to let her know that she wasn't alone, but he knew that probably wouldn't end well. I was with them for only a year. I know of that, she said, turning to look at Arathor with thick tears forming in the corner of her eyes. It must be all too much for her. Only moments ago was she being chased by them, and now she's kneeled next to him in a house that supposedly was hers, but now isn't. What's the last thing you remember about Tavernkeep? What, what was happening? He said, trying to get a better understanding of what just happened to this girl. She hesitated, her eyes flicking around as she tried to remember. There was this funny man. He wore a black cape and a large hat and covered his whole face, and he swore he was the best magician in the world. She chuckled through her tears, wiping them away as they trickled down her dirt-speckled face, and it drew this massive crowd in the center of the city, and he made a fool of himself, and everyone started throwing things at him. I certainly remember that. And though she laughed a bit more at the memory, Arathor's face was drained of color. Your name, he said slowly. She looked at him once more, confused at the breach in conversation, realized they had yet to even exchange names. Right, it's, um, it's Jami, she said somberly, each blink forcing out another tear. Jami, that was fourteen years ago. Otis had entered the castle, having only been there a few hours earlier. But Heathgrim had dismissed him suddenly and seemingly without warrant. He needed little clarification for his arrival, as the guards out front knew his face well and saluted as they opened the doors. He felt the cool air of the throne room waft over him as he walked across the large marble-like floors. The ground reflected his image back at him as he made his way toward the king, who watched him attentively. Kojak stood at the throne next to him, speaking to his king, who was clearly not listening. "'Sire, several representatives of Honda wish to speak to you on behalf of their dead speakers,' a messenger said, standing front and center of the king. Oriath shook his head, a spike of anger flushing over his already red face. "'My answer will remain the same. We don't wish to speak to theirs or anyone's dead speakers. Not ever again.' His voice was loud cornering every corner of the throne room with his mighty authority. The messenger bowed, but as he swung away to return the message to its deliverers, Otis could see the frown of disapproval on his face. The king took a moment, but then caught the eyes of Otis. He suddenly seemed happy to have a distraction, something to focus on other than the people around him as Otis stepped before the throne. Hey, rum, isn't it? King Aureus spoke. His voice was soft but assertive. He was being less formal than usual, and he expected the same from Otis, who he'd been fond of. "'That is my family name, yes,' Otis said, kneeling before the throne out of respect. Oriath didn't care much for the formalities, but Otis wanted him to know his presence wasn't for any sort of social calling. In fact, he was itching to just spit it out. But he wasn't about to shove the king's words aside. "'Right, you are mainly posted outside of the war room, is that correct?' King Oriath said, a slight grin as he tested his memory. Yes, that is right. I have ever since the Horde War, he said, bowing in respect to the name. As he looked back up, he was surprised to see the look of astonishment on his king's face, who was now partly standing from his throne, his hands gripping the handle hard. The Horde War. I see, your elder. The king's words were weary. He knew much about Otis, but sometimes it was hard to think 
that some of his men were hundreds of years older than him. It wasn't a matter of damage to his ego rather than the fear that his men wouldn't take him seriously. But oftentimes, that wasn't a problem he faced. And certainly not one he faced with Otis. That's correct, sire. Otis bowed slightly, once more in respect. Now, what's the reason for this calling? It must be important to interrupt your early leave, the king said. So apparently it was an order from the king himself, Otis thought. He created more questions than it did answers any, but that wasn't important. Of course, sire. I was out in the woods, just beyond the walls with a good friend, when we caught sight of what we thought was a bandit. We caught them to find out it was a young lady, and managed to get her to tell us that the bandits that attacked us weren't really bandits. Otis paused for a moment, looking at the king sliding up from his seat. Ruiners of Mord isn't a bandit camp. It's a cultist group. They have a camp with men and women in the hundreds only a mile away from our walls within our forests. Otis finished, and by the end, Oriath was on his feet. And the woman? What did you do with her? He asked, his stare intense and serious. Otis hesitated. He could tell the truth, but he had told a little enough that the king wouldn't know how to go about looking for her. She was a good kid, and most certainly wasn't her fault she got pulled in everything. His sympathy took hold. She's dead. She succumbed to her injuries. My friend struck her with a knife. We assume he had an artery or something of the sorts. Otis had just lied straight to the king's face. He hoped that he wasn't sweating, or his eyes were twitching, or his body wasn't shaking to give away his dishonesty. But Aurea seemed convinced enough, rubbing his chin in thought. This friend, uh, who is he? Aurea looked up, his eyes cutting through his brow. Erethor Selstrom, sire. Otis said, slightly curious as to how he would react to his friend's name. Oriath. Ah, of course. Bring him and yourself here at sunbreak tomorrow, understood? The king sat himself back down, his fingers locked and laying on his lap. Otis bowed in acknowledgment and quickly took his leave just as soon as he had arrived. It was clear that the king wanted to say the details until Arathor was present. Are you sure you can trust her? Hem spoke in a low voice as he attended the bar. A Mylian female had dished out a bag of silver coin asking for the spicy lamb dish, which Hem had happily begun to prepare. Arathor had hesitated to tell Hem the truth, but he knew that he could trust his friend, at least enough to know he wouldn't tell anyone of his secrets. But he didn't blame Hem for having his doubts this time around. It was a stretch to let a cultist into his tavern who he'd only met hours prior. No, but she's a young girl, a young elder no less, and it wasn't her choice to begin with. Erethor responded in a loud whisper, even though she was across the room in a corner booth alone. I mean, you're living in our house for Highvale's sake, he added, biting his lip as he wondered what he was going to do next. It wasn't exactly an easy choice. It wasn't like choosing leaven or unleavened bread for his sandwich. This was a young elder's life in his hands. I trust her instincts. Really, Erethor, I do. You know I do, but I hope you don't expect me to give her the house back. Hem said sarcastically, though he was being serious. Of course not. So I suppose she'll have to stay here for now. I need to keep close eye on her anyways. Erethor assured, patting Hem on the back and leaving the bar to speak with their new companion. He sat himself down in the booth. She flinched for a moment, but covered it with a harsh look to keep up her strong man act. Relax, you're safe here. My home is your home. Funny, is that knife you stabbed me also mine? She said, looking down at the table that had been tagged with hundreds of knife carvings of names and random scribbles. 
Again, I'm sorry. If it makes you feel any better, I've lost my art. Art is a complicated concept. Never was it truly understood. But it was a force that drove people to be skilled at something. Whether it be the art of the blade, thievery, or art itself. It's beyond simply being good. It's being exceptional. It's a spark, an obsession in you to be better. Some never master the art of anything. Some lose it over time. Erethor tried to be humble, to make her feel like she was a target. But it didn't seem convincing as she rolled her eyes, taking a sip of the water he'd given her. Yeah, real comforting. What were you, one of those clowns on the gate or something? She said, expecting some exceedingly boring response. No. I was something much more important. A spy master, he said, which piqued her interest, looking up with a mug in front of her. A spy master, so what, you snuck in the house and stole bread or something? She said, between mouthfuls of lamb that Hem had just sat in front of her. Erethor chuckled, taking the ale from Hem's hands, who gave him a nod and scurried back to the bar. That was the start of it, anyway, but no, I was... It was more diplomatic. Before King Oriath, there was King Malar. He was the one who signed me spymaster. I'd been in the military for many years, and so once the role was created, he sought out those who had experience. At the start, I was no good. I couldn't even convince a rat to set off a rat trap. I mean, I had the art of the blade, but not of persuasion. Erethor took a mean swig of his ale, wiping his mouth as he went. See, my first ever real go-around was in Torchal. King Malar knew I was young in the art of persuasion, so he started small and sent me to be undercover in some black market shop in Smolkfort. I thought it would have been a cruel exercise to see if I knew how to sew, but I was able to try and convince the headmasters of the shop that I'd been working there for years. Then, when he least expected it, Erethor slammed down his dagger into the table, adding one more mark to the endless sea of carvings. But that was really a glorified test. I wasn't really needed until Malar had passed away, and when King Oriath took control, he thought his death was suspicious. It is his duty to look out for his people, so when his uncle died, he of course wanted to investigate. So we traced things back to a place called Whale Rot, but of course I wished to go undercover as one of the assistants of the councilmen. Erethor wiggled and tugged the blade back out, checking to see if he dulled the tip. Jami squinted in suspicion as she listened to the story, and he could tell something wasn't sitting right with her. "'What? What is it?' he said plainly. His cheery look had drained. "'Yeah, just that's pretty boring,' she said, cracking a smile at his expense. "'Gosh, I should have gone for the head,' Erethor joked, though he immediately tensed up as he realized it might have been too soon. But luckily Jami laughed, and he allowed himself to as well. "'I'll save the real stories for another night.' Erethor winked, taking another sip. Most of his stories were long and elaborate, and would put most to sleep until he either got to the part where he made his first move or messed up and had to react offensively. King Malar had done a good job at building him up, slowly but surely to the point where he was competent in sending him to do much bigger, much more difficult tasks. Oriath, on the other hand, was much too quick to send Erethor into unknown territory, to challenge him beyond the point of return. Erethor had suffered much, He'd been through too much in too little time. His mind was tainted, and though he was good at hiding it, there was much more beneath that than what floated on the surface. Sure, of course, 
Jami's voice began to get weary. She was growing tired, and he could tell. It was beginning to go into the later hours, and there Thor had begun to wonder where his friend Otis was. Perhaps he was just discussing the course of action to take out the cultist camp. Either way, it was off of his hands and not his problem. Oriath had respected his resignation then, and he didn't see why he would want to intrude now. Jami, let's, uh, let's get you to bed, Erethor suggested, standing from the booth and extending a hand. Jami mindlessly nodded and accepted, following behind him through the busy tavern as he walked through the zigzags of tables. The hungry patrons grew more ferocious as the night went on, but Erethor was too busy to mind them. Since his mother and sister had passed, and his father had gone away without a word, it left two extra rooms on the upper floor. Naturally, Erethor had left them empty, except for a bed and a wardrobe for the guests that rarely came by. He hoped it didn't feel too much like a prison cell as he led the tired Jami to her room, laying her down on the bare-bones bed. Erethor, right? she said, testing the name on her tongue. Mm-hmm, he murmured as he closed the thick blinds in the closet door. He was tempted to look back under the bed for monsters, as if Jami was some kind of child. In reality, she was almost as old as him, though looked almost as young as him. Though she was only sixty, looking as though she was maybe twenty, while Erethor was three hundred and looked as though he was thirty. It's close, but every elder ages a bit differently. Some physically age faster, while others are much slower. For most, it comes in waves and doesn't really have a pattern. Good night. I'm in the room down the hall if you need me, Erethor said, trying to comfort her, but she sat in silence. It felt wrong. It all felt so damn wrong. And look, I, I understand if you want to leave, if you want to figure stuff out on your own. I, I know this is all a bit weird. Erethor failed to express what he really meant. It sounded weird once he said it out loud. Hey, as far as I'm concerned, you saved me from those bastards, all right? But, yeah, I do gotta go figure some things out, she said, not turning to look at him. They put me to sleep for fourteen years. I... I can't get those back, Jami muttered under her breath, just loud enough for him to hear from the doorway. I just need some time. Of course. Of course, Arathor said, before closing the door. Erethor felt better knowing that Jami was in bed, and that he didn't need to keep a constant eye on her. Though she could be crawling out the window into the night for all he knew, he just hoped she didn't have any hidden loyalty towards the Ruiners. He would never forgive himself if he misplaced sympathy and had gotten Tavernkeep into more trouble. But he felt good, felt that he could trust her. Maybe he was wrong, but all he knew was that he was going to keep trusting her, and the feeling. In a way, he understood her. He was so young when he joined the military, and at the time it felt like he didn't have a choice. And it all left him with a hollow pit that could never be filled. He gained nothing, nothing to show for all the time he spent in the mud and the thorn bushes. And it hadn't taken long for those thoughts to strangle Arathor into drowning several pints of ale. Over time, Hem had noticed his tendency to drink when he was stressed over something, but this time he didn't have a guess. Maybe you'd best be getting some sleep yourself, huh? Hem nudged, but Erethor didn't break his longing stare with the opposite side of the booth. Thank you, Hem, but I have to wait for Otis. He should be here soon, he said. They sat in a moment of silence, Hem looking around the room nervously. 
It had grown quiet and mostly clear. People had gone home to their families like they did every night. So, what, uh, what was her deal, huh? Hem asked, sitting himself down across from Arathor. He thought it over for a moment. Though Jami had told him what had happened, it all seemed so unbelievable. This cult believed that a man named Mord placed a relic here in Tavern Keep well over a hundred years ago. One of the remaining four keys. The man, Mord, stood out to Arathor, not even from religious fanatics that came in and out of his tavern daily. The Soul Gates, Hem muttered under his lips. They had been a secret fascination of his and he took every opportunity to learn more about them. It was pure luck we found the ones we did. No clue connecting them. No message from Highvale. Just trusting our own exploration skills, Arathor said as he looked up at Seamus across the room, head down drunkenly at the table. Point being, they believed the relic would only emerge this year. Don't ask me why. Anyway, the attack wasn't an attack. It was a search. Looks like someone stirred the pot, though, and sparked the conflict, and did with more blood than it was supposed to. Naturally, the plan was fourteen years ago, so they put a sleeping spell on themselves in some cavern until they were ready to wake. Arathor rubbed his eyes, leaning back in his seat, exhausted. But everything's okay now, right? Hem spoke quietly, nervous in his cowardly voice. Arathor thought for a moment. He thought of telling the truth was the right choice. Yeah, everything's fine. Arathor chose to lie. But he didn't feel bad. He didn't want to panic the poor badger. There was no need to cause unnecessary worry. The last thing Tavern Keep needed was more anxiety over another attack. Could I ask something of you? Hem asked sheepishly, shuffling closer to the table. Of course, Arathor spoke softly. Could you tell me what the Horde word was like? Was it as awful as they say? Hem asked, nervously. Arathor had done his best to push away the horrors he'd seen during the Horde War. Every scream of an innocent person being ripped apart, violently, had been stuck inside his head for well over two hundred years. But what he'd remembered the most was why he was where he was at the time. The timing could have been worse, far from home and stuck under cover. He remembered everything from the front gate to Fort Kiltek being blasted into splinters and sieged, to his final moments with his good friend who he was forced to slay. It was... He paused, for no real reason other than to subside the shiver of torment going up his back. It was hell, Arathor said, and the room filled with a dark aura of despair, so dense that Hem didn't dare push further. Luckily the feeling was swiped away as the tavern's door swung open with a smash. They turned to see Otis, who immediately locked eyes with him. Quickly, he helped himself to the seat next to Hem, scooting him over subtly. You're a lucky bastard, you, Otis said with a big grin, twisting off the cap of his water skin full of his own special ale, taking a large sip. What's that supposed to mean? Arathor laughed, slightly nervous. The king remembers you fondly, but he still wants to hear your side. I'm sure I'm right to say our game told you all about her friends, huh? Otis says pointing at him with his water skin still in hand. Eh, you'd be right. Arathor looked at Hem. The bar, Hem, he nudged, and with a quick nod, Hem slithered between their legs and disappeared toward the bar, leaving the two alone so Arathor could finally speak the truth. It's worse than we thought. Arathor bit his lip. 
watching Ham pop back up behind the bar to make sure he was out of earshot. These ruiners, as Jami kept calling them, they aren't just giving up. They have something planned, soon. Erethor had been trying to think over in his head the logical approach, but everything fell short. There was just too vague of information. What planned? Another stab from the inside? Otis said sarcastically as he flipped his water skin in his hand. No. That much she knows. They're hurting, but that means they've got nothing left to lose. They believe if they don't do something soon, the relic will disappear for even longer than it supposedly did last time. Erethor knew much less than he'd like, but he hated that he sounded like he was making things up on the spot. At least that's what he would have thought if he was in Otis's position. What's this relic, anyways? What's so damn important about it? Otis licked the inside of his mouth as he tasted the ale. It's called the Cell Spawn. That is end of chapter three, which is actually longer than chapter one. Um, I didn't know that. I'm I, I'm sorry. Like I'm genuinely sorry. Um, I guess this one definitely could have been split into two parts, like the when they actually found her, and then when they actually take her into Tavern Keep. I think that's what I'm gonna do. I'm kind of like making notes of all the parts I could split into different chapters. So don't worry. This is also kind of an editing process for me, finding all the things that I should tweak by reading through the book. So uh, you get to listen to the extended version, but uh, yeah, thanks for listening.